we are a band of brothers, diverse yet unified, aligned to pursue the truth, resolute in our commitment. We are stronger together, and you are one of us. This is the Brotherhood Podcast. Brothers, welcome to the podcast. Today we get to tune in and listen to Mark Delaney's breakout session from our Brotherhood Summit back in May. We will be releasing all of the Summit breakouts over the next couple of weeks, so make sure you stay tuned to that. But until then, let's tune in and listen to Mark's message to the Brotherhood. You guys probably want a skinny guy to walk out here after that video. That's not what you want. Listen, skinny's easy. Free is life-changing. Come on, somebody. I spent way too much of my life with the goal of, man, if I can just get skinny. (laughs) Could you imagine living your whole life with a problem and thinking, if I just change this problem, I'll be the man? That is the perfect way to never change. If I stop doing this, then I can be the man. I want to draw you a picture today. First of all, I got to tell you something. I've grown up in the church, and this is what I feel like we do as Christians so easily, is we complicate the power out of the gospel. We complicate it to the point that all we are is constipated. (laughs) There's no power. And and like this, what we're looking at here on the board is like all these verses and and doctrines, and and we study these doctrines. Oh, if if you heard about this. We get into all these like deep things and we're like, oh, I never knew that before. We're like, we're just, we make it more complex, more complex, more complex. Fred Rogers said something so true. He said, life is just really, life is so simple. It's just really deep where culture constantly offers us the complex and the shallow. I think we do the same things to ourselves. We make, we complicate our life. We complicate our life to the point that we miss The point, if I'm doing this right, I just misspelled it. <laughs> Something like that. We miss the point. The point of the gospel is so simple. And what we do to experience the power of the gospel is so simple, but we so complicate it. So I want to draw you a picture. I just want to draw you a picture. What I'm talking about today is ultimately freedom. I don't know about you guys, but I don't even know why you came to a workshop about vulnerability and and, and accountability, because I think they're both preposterous, (laughs) yet they're not. I thought for so long it's preposterous because like vulnerability, to me, it just felt like this Christian chore. Like if you want to be in the club, admit all your failures, and then you're allowed to come to church. (laughs) That's not what vulnerability is about. Vulnerability is not about honesty, it's about freedom. If you're taking notes, look at your sheet. It's not about honesty, it's about freedom. It's not about being exposed in shame, it's about being exposed to the power of God. When I was a kid and you'd get in trouble, my parents would make us apologize to each other. I thought that like the walk of shame was like your way of deserving to be forgiven. So like if you want your sins forgiven, like admit it and make yourself be embarrassed in front of people, then you're forgiven. Vulnerability is about being exposed to the power of God. 
It's not about people seeing your problem. It's about people seeing your purpose. You know why I was deathly afraid of vulnerability? My entire life, my identity was, will I ever become a normal human? And it was just about weight. Whether it was when I was a third grader getting lined up to get the height and weight check for school, and all throughout my life, every time, every time I entered into any arena, the first thing I had to overcome was, okay, these people are gonna look at my body and think weird things about me. If I go to, to fly somewhere, I couldn't be excited about my destination until after I, I figured out if I could fit in the seat. If I went to go eat lunch with someone like you, the first thing I had to do before I thought about you was, okay, where do I fit? The booth might be too small. If I met you and I shook your hand, I wasn't really thinking about you. I was thinking about what you thought about me and my body. Does that sound like bondage to anybody? So the horror of my life was that my problem was my identity. Here's why I hated vulnerability. I felt like if I told a friend and I was honest about me, I thought they would see me the same way I saw me. And that sounded horrific. When I'm constantly badgered by my problem, the last thing I need is now someone else to look at me like, yeah, let's deal with that problem. That's who you are. So I hated the thought of vulnerability. Vulnerability is about, about people that you share your story with and they grab you by the collar and they send you into the fight. Listen, don't tell your story to just anybody. Tell your story to a free man. Let me use the brave heart metaphor. I need a struggling, can I, I need a struggling man. Is anyone here struggling with anything? Pretend you are. Anybody struggling with anything? Come up here on the stage real quick. Anybody? Anybody struggling with anything? If I come up here, both of you come up here and sit on these stools. Okay, so Afaya, you be the struggling man. Dave, you're gonna be the, um, what I call the psycho accountability partner. Psycho, yeah, so I hear all of you guys are the powerful men. Uh, let's go to the Braveheart scene. You guys are all wearing kilts, you got swords, you're on a horse, your faces are painted, right? Like, do you not feel incredible right now? You, you just mooned the evil empire. And you're just like, you're just feeling so powerful. Now, Dave is heading over here because he's one of those powerful dudes and he sees Afaya over here. He's like under a shade tree. He's got like a sword kind of behind, beside him in the grass and he's holding his kilt and he's like holding his face makeup and he's just downcast. And what's Dave gonna say? Hey, hey what's, what's going on, man? What's going on? And Afaya's gonna be like, I... I got this problem. I'm struggling with this. Here's what bad accountability does. It's when someone like Dave says, yeah, man, that's, that's really tough. I can see how that's destructive and how that can really be hurting your life. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna text you a book you should read. 
you read this book. And every time you think about your problem, you have that, that wrong thought. Here, here's a rubber band. Put that on your wrist and you snap your wrist every time you have a wrong thought. And then Dave, he's like, pats him on the back. Like, hey, you'll be all right, man. I'll come see you next week. And then Dave goes to go join this force of powerful men. You know what good accountability is? Someone trusts you enough to be vulnerable and say what they're struggling with. Good accountability is like uh, you listen, maybe 30 seconds, two minutes tops. Then you look at them and you say, brother, get off this pity party you're on. There is a fight and you belong in it. You are needed. Paint your face and join the fight. That's what accountability is. That's what accountability is. Accountability on your sheet if you want to take notes. It's not about turning your friend into a parole officer. It's about having someone put on your war paint. It's not about people that point at your problem, it's about people that point toward your purpose. Everyone has kryptonite in their life. It feels like accountability is this friendship where every day you huddle together or you do something to like focus on kryptonite. Accountability is having people in your life that tell you every day, where's your cape? Put it on. That's the power of the gospel, is that you and I, we can't fix our life to then live our life. The power of the, of the gospel is that we've been made alive in Christ. It's not I fix myself and then I'm alive in Christ. It's I've been made alive in Christ. Thus, I wear the cape. There's nothing more crushing to a man than to think he doesn't get to wear his cape and be the man he's called to be. Human instinct is, I gotta fix my problem so I can be the man I'm called to be. And humans can't do that. If we could do that, what's the point of Jesus on the cross? Romans 6, 11, Consider yourself to be dead to sin and alive to God. What I do for many years, I consider myself to be dead to God because I was alive to sin. Mashed potatoes was my identity. I talked to a man recently and I do a coaching program with men and couples and he said, you know, I didn't know if you could relate to me because like I've had an affair, you haven't like had an affair. I was like, what? I had an affair about 4,000 times in front of my wife with potatoes and pie. I almost wanted to grab him by the collar. Like, how dare you think that somehow, like, being sent to an early grave by food is somehow winning? 
As if somehow a man in his, in his final breath says, at least pornography didn't take me down. It was mashed potatoes. <laughs> I'm like, he said, you can't relate to me. I'm like, can't relate to you. When I sit in groups of powerful men, and by the way, powerful men are men who have had problems and simply face them. That's what a powerful man does. You don't, you don't fix your problems and then become powerful. You realize you're powerful in Christ and that gives you power to overcome problems. But when I sit in groups of powerful men and I hear one guy say his, his issue he had with pornography, one guy was alcohol, one guy had affairs on his wife, and I hear their story and I get lost. And I'm like, wait a second, are you talking about you or me? We fill in the blanks differently, but the story's all the same. Can I tell you something? The easiest people for me to take through my coaching program to help people find freedom are people who have not been in the church for 20 years. Was the longer we're in the church, we get so good at like dressing up our life and like, we, we, Christians are so good at being judgmental towards oneself that we hold hostage the power of God for our own life. We tell our neighbor, hey, just come to church. It doesn't matter what you've done, who you are. Just come just as you are. But for the person, then you become a Christian. You're like, all right, now I got to figure this out. And the grace of God is abundant for the sinner. But once you become a Christian, like, you don't need grace. You should have this figured out. I want to draw you a picture. So here you are. You're born into this world and there's, there's trees and bushes everywhere. The, the trees have all these shiny objects. What might those shiny objects represent? I want you to take a few seconds and interact with the people around you. This is the world you're, you're born into and all the trees, it's a vast forest. All the trees have shiny objects. What do you think they represent? Take about 10 seconds and give answers to those around you. Let's hear some answers. Shiny objects might represent what? A house, money, car, achievements, distraction, but the fame. All the shiny objects like cry out to us, hey, come over here, precious, you're gonna like this. <laughs> if you come to this tree, like you're gonna arrive. If you get this, go there, get this position, like it all cries out to us. So we're born into this crazy world. What do we really want? If this is the path of our life, the next question is what do we really want? Let's, the person next to you, me, yourself, what does the human really want? Take a few seconds. And think of an answer to that. There's not one answer, but what do we really want? Discuss that. Answers. Satisfaction. Peace. Purpose. What was that word? Accepted. Meaning. Fulfillment. Let's use the word purpose. 
But this is the, the core of, of every human. There's something we really, really want. And if we, if, we, if we get this stuff that the human really wants, we have power over all the shiny objects. Have you ever lived your life chasing shiny objects and you became Smeagol chasing precious, not knowing what it was doing to you? I'm convinced of this thing. The human being must be moved. We must be moved. The question becomes, are we moved by something inside of us or something outside of us? If the human being has nothing inside of them that moves them, there's no choice but to find something outside of them that moves them. Do you agree with that? If a human being has nothing inside of them that moves them to action, there's no choice but to find something outside of you, even artificial, of course, that at least makes you feel like you're alive. This is the, the root of all types of addictions and behaviors is we must be moved. No one knows how to just exist. Like nothing moves me, I'm, I'm okay with just being uh, existing. This is why a 14-year-old can be addicted to gaming. And the dad mom walks in, son, you're wasting your life. You can't understand, how can my son just game all day long? Like you have to make him go to bed. He'll stay up all night if you let him. Gaming, like that makes no sense. Think about it this way though. If that 14-year-old human being has nothing inside of him that makes him feel like his life means something, why wouldn't he game all day long? The 14-year-old doesn't know to say these words. But when the dad comes in and says, son, you're wasting your life. But what if the 14-year-old is thinking, dad, my life is a waste. People don't like me. I don't like me. I don't think I have anything to offer anyone in the world. And by the way, you drag me to church every Sunday and I hate myself the whole time during the service because I can't stop having these thoughts I have that I know I shouldn't have. So there is no point for me The 14-year-old won't say this, but what his heart is crying out for is, Dad, if my life had any point at all, I wouldn't need to game. But until I have a point, gaming is the only thing that makes me feel like life has anything for me. This is why drug addiction makes total sense to me. It makes complete sense to me that if a human being started out with dreams that their life was going to matter and now they've taken on the belief that they can't matter. So okay, I'm uh, 25, I've got maybe 60 years to live, I guess I'm just gonna hang out until I die. Like that's a good reason to do drugs. If you feel like the thing within you that you want to be in this world, you can't be, why would the human not do drugs? This is why I tell parents, You can't stop your son from doing drugs, but you can start something 
that causes them to not need to do drugs. I was watching a TV show called 600 Pound Life on the treadmill while I was watching this, ironically. (laughs) And they were showing these people that weighed over 600 pounds and I wasn't laughing at them because I was like, that was me not that long ago. I weighed 380 at the most. I guess I could be self-righteous and be like, well, I only weigh 380, you weigh 600. (laughs) No, I, I was in the same bondage that person on TV was in. And I looked at their life and I listened to them talk and I'm like, it makes total sense why a human would weigh over 600 pounds. If you feel like the only thing you were made for, you don't get to be, what do you do with that? How do you numb the pain of that? So we're born. We're excited for a while. What are we excited about? (laughs) This. You and I at some point were three or four years old and probably you did this, hopefully you didn't. If you didn't, do it today. But at some point in your life, you were like three and you got out of the bathtub. You were like supposedly drying your body off, like trying, it's all awkward, like, and you stopped. And what'd you do with the towel? You tied it around your neck. And you looked in the mirror. You may have raised your, your little noodle arms like this, and maybe, maybe just gave your superhero face in the mirror. And you're like, yeah. That instinctually, maybe because of Ephesians 2.10, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he played in advance for us to do. Maybe because of that. There's something in the human being that there's something from the, from the very beginning that's like, that gives us a growl. That causes us to want to be the kind of man Witt talked about last, last night, the dangerous person. Or that, get, that you've got this cape on and you're living a life. You've got something to give. You've got something to do. You've got someone to be. And that's inside of all of us. It's Adam and Eve. It says by Adam and Eve, it just, you know, it's so interesting. Scripture just says this, they were naked and unashamed. <laughs> Think about that for a while. <laughs> you ever been out golfing with your buddies like with no clothes on? Like, hey, good round. <laughs> it's so crazy to think about. But you know what's totally instinctual for us? Is to live a life completely opposite of naked and unashamed. We're excited for a while, but then number three comes along. Number three is something bad happens to us or something happens because of us. The person next to you, I want you guys to answer this question. What do you think bothers a man more? When something happens to them or when they cause something bad to happen to someone else? Discuss that with the person next to you. Is it the first one, something bad happening to me, or is it the second one, something I do bad to someone else? Who says number one? Raise your hand. Who says number two? Raise your hand. Yeah. Remember the three-year-old boy? Here I am to save the day. 
And then when your life does something to hurt someone, what do you do with that? I know what we do with that. You know what we do with that. What do we do? We hide. Isn't that what Adam and Eve did? They were naked and unashamed. Like life is wonderful. We're naked and we don't even notice. Like we're so full of life. We just, we experience God and we boldly experience people. And as soon as sin enters the world, the immediate thing is, oh no, hide from God, cover myself from you. And the threat is that we'll live our entire life as a human in that broken state of I must be distant from God and cover myself from you. So this isn't where the story ends. It doesn't just stop in the bush. The person who lives in the bush ends up, number five, coping. The person next to you, list three or four, give you about 10 seconds, list about three or four ways that humans cope. Go ahead. Let's hear three or four of them. Medicate, isolation, food, sleep, drugs, alcohol, gaming, work, like anything. And of course, coping causes some kind of fallout, right? These behaviors cause problems. But this is a really important question. Why does the human cope? Why does the human cope? You know what culture says? Well, something bad happened. That's why. Something happened to me, that's why. I did something, that's why. And the problem with that, and that that gives incredible power to this problem. We now have a hopeless life because that means that whatever happened, whatever went wrong, gets to decide my future. To look at life that way, that means that something went wrong and because of that, I am sidelined for the rest of it. Answer this question. Why did the human go from the path to the bush to begin with? Why did the human go from the path of the bush to begin with? To hide from the problem? Culture says you had to go here because this thing went bad. That's why cancel culture is so powerful these days is people think the only way to overcome my problem is if I cancel people, but that doesn't cancel the problem. It's a false answer. This is really key to this story. The reason the human went from the path to the bush is because of human pride. It was our prideful response to what happened. It wasn't what happened, it was our prideful response to what happened. To put it in short, this was my attempt to save myself. Isn't it the core of pride? That I don't need God because I have me. (laughs) I'm gonna save me. 
we went from the path to the bush to save ourselves. When I was in sixth grade, I went to join the band. The band director said, what do you want to play? I said, the trumpet. He handed me the trumpet. He said, make a noise. I tried and I couldn't. He took the trumpet from me and he said, your lips are too big. It crushed me. It entirely changed how I thought about my life and me. For the rest of my childhood, if I walked into the room, I'm like, okay, I hope they don't see my lips. I developed poor speaking habits because I mumbled. I didn't want to move my lips very much. I wish he had said the mouthpiece is too small. He didn't mean anything by that statement. You know what culture says? We need to cancel band directors. <laughs> They're the problem. Think about this. What does it say about who I was as a human that one person, one time, saying, hey, this trumpet won't work, your lips are too big. It sent me into this tailspin of changing who I am as a person. What was the problem? What he said? No. What he said revealed the problem in me that I'm afraid of what people think of me. What are we gonna do? Run around and go home to my parents, hey, can you tell the whole world that, that my lips aren't big so I can be confident in who I am? <laughs> this is our attempt to save ourselves. So this next question, why do we cope? What's culture say? Well, you cope because this bad thing happened. The reason we cope is because we left a life of purpose and we exchanged it for a life in hiding. We left a life of, remember the three-year-old boy? We left a life of, I don't know how or why, but I've got something to be in this world. We've exchanged that life for, well, I wish that hadn't happened. I guess I'd just sit here until I die. What a horrible exchange, right? What a horrible exchange to think that the only thing you were made for which is to be a light to the world, you no longer get to be? How does the human not cope with that? How do you not cope? So the person living this life, and all these behaviors cause these, this fallout, what do we then say to that person? What do we say to the drug addict? Stop doing drugs. And the drug addict thinks, I tell myself that a hundred times a day. I have no power to stop doing drugs. The person that overeats, well, you need to stop eating so much. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I, that's why my shoes are hard to tie. But there's no power to do that. 
I went to bed every night so full it's hard to fall asleep thinking, okay, tomorrow, like I hate this feeling, tomorrow's gonna be different. Wake up at three in the morning, wonder if I was breathing or not. Wake up in the morning, okay, today's gonna be different. And by 9.30, I'm indulging in something. The guy who's addicted to anything, pornography, you need to stop watching pornography. Oh. The person that's stuck in all these problems, they hate the problem. Trying to change the problem is not where freedom comes. This is why when I coach people in this program I do, I tell them from the get-go, I'm not talking about your problem. I met with a couple two months ago. She's been having an affair for about a year. I sat down, the first time I met them, I said, what do you want? She said, I want the emptiness in me to go away. Why is she having an affair? Because of the emptiness in her. So we went through the program without talking about marriage. Because marriage isn't the problem, it's just the result of all of it. A man called me a year and a half ago. I knew him from the gym. He said, I slept with another woman, my wife found out, and I wanna put a gun to my head. I said, well, we're we're gonna have five conversations. We're doing the Purpose Mastermind, which is my coaching program. I said, but I'm not gonna talk about your marriage. I'm not gonna talk about it. It feels instinctually that you're in that prison, like the video I showed you, that you're in that prison, and as soon as I fix this problem, I can be the man God's called me to be. And that is a lie. If you could do that, Jesus would not have gone to the cross. Jesus went to the cross because we couldn't do that. Can we talk about this man in the bush and what his life is like? I was this man, so I can describe it. I've seen other men like this. Men in the bush, here's how they live their life. Imagine you're behind a bush. You think you see, but you don't. You wonder why people respond to you the way you do. It's because they're looking at you through a bush. They're trying to see you, but they can't. You wonder why people at work respond to you weird. You wonder why your kids don't respect you. You wonder why your wife doesn't even want to sleep with you. It's because you're living in a bush. The deception is this. The deception is, I'm in this bush to hide my problem. I'm just hiding my problem. Mm -mm. You're hiding your problem and you're hiding your purpose. You're hiding your light. You're hiding your love. You're hiding your wisdom. You're hiding your vision. You're hiding everything. You've barricaded yourself off from everything that you want. 
The man in the bush, and this speaks to the man I used to be, the man in the bush hates this, but he's offensive to the people he wants to lead. He doesn't know why. How come people don't want to follow my lead? The man in the bush, he's defensive to the people that want to help him. He doesn't even see it. Because you're in the bush, you can't see. The man in the bush is abusive to the people he's trying to love. And the man is trying with all his heart because it's the last thing a man wants to be is offensive, defensive, and abusive. It's the last thing a man wants to be. Yet in the bush, it's what he becomes. And he hates it. He walks into his own house and his kids scatter. Like, Why don't my kids want to be near me? And it is so painful. But the man in the bush never talks about that. He just goes in the garage and like just isolates himself or he drinks or he looks for something to numb the pain of, I want to be a man that has the respect of his kids but my kids just run from me and I don't know what's causing that. I want to walk, I want to walk in the door and have my wife like excited to see me. I want my wife to like want to give herself to me sexually. Why, why does she not want me? And it's the last thing that a man wants is to be that person. But this is what the bush turns us into. We don't turn ourselves into that. Not by choice. The bush turns us into that. Can we get to the good part? The good part is that there's no problem that you have ever faced that's outside of the redeeming power of God. There is nothing that you have done that disqualifies you from the man that you're designed to be in this world. And it is not too late for you to square your shoulders and be the free man that Jesus came to make you be. And it's just one step. But be careful. Because human instinct says, my one step to freedom is I need to change this one problem to get back to this life. And I'm here to tell you, you can't do that. But there is one step you can take. It's that step right there. It's coming out of that bush of hiding. You're like, well, that's too simple. Yes, it is. It's also powerful. It's also life-changing. It's also liberating, and it's also the gospel. Think about this. Think about what, what took you from the path to the bush was every ounce of your human pride that's I must save myself. To come out of that bush, you know what you have to do? Lose yourself, which is the hardest human step that a person can ever take. That's why Jesus said, you want to find your life? Just lose it. But it's preposterous. Think about me. 
that my entire life, literally from the youngest of ages, I remember everything revolved around what I thought about food and the size of my body and how I looked. Like it was the constant rhythm of my life. My cape sat in the closet getting dusty. And as soon as I get skinny, I can put that on. Can I tell you something? Mm. I don't even regret how long it took me to learn this. It's worth it to tell you this today. Jesus didn't come to make me skinny. He came to make me free. Jesus didn't come to get you off of porn. He came to get you completely free of everything. Jesus came to bring freedom. But we hold hostage the simple, powerful freedom that we have by sitting in the corner, judging our life, staring at kryptonite, while the cape hangs in the closet getting dusty. And Jesus says, put on your cape. We've been made alive in Christ. Every day of your life and mine, there's kryptonite. And if you want to get up and stare at the kryptonite, like you're going to keep dabbling in kryptonite. You put on your cape in spite of kryptonite. And that cape of calling moves you. It gives you a power to overcome. Let's talk about this one step though and what it looks like. For me in my life, as much as food and weight was just destroying me, it was impacting every area of my life constantly. You know the one thing I would never do? Just talk about it. Ask my wife. <laughs> Ask her if she could ever open up that little detail of my life. You think she ever once said to me, hey, uh, Mark, I think that's enough rolls. Uh-uh. She can talk about anything with me, but not that. That is the only, can I tell you something? My life changed when one day I picked up the phone and I called a guy. And I said, I think I'm destroying myself with what I do with the fork. I told him, my life is gonna be an early funeral and everyone's gonna sit there and watch and they're gonna think, you know, Mark had potential, he was a good guy. If only he could have controlled what happened with the fork in his hand. And at my funeral would be my three kids sitting in the front row. And my life would have never showed them what freedom looks like. That's the conversation I had with him. And it was the first time in my life that I was honest about me. And can I tell you something? Let me demonstrate as simple as possible what this step does to a human. I lived my whole life like this. And when I told him my story, I saw like this. 
How big a difference does that make? It's like living your life in a dark room and constantly running into things, stubbing your toe, knocking into people, breaking things, and then all of a sudden the light comes on, you're like, oh, I can stop stubbing my toe. (laughs) The gospel is the power to have the light turned on in our life. But how we look at our problem We go turn the light out. Uh, I can't have the gospel because I still have this. I thought about this, so I'm going to turn the light off now. Oh, I still have this temptation. I'm going to turn the light off. I can't be a light to the world until I fix me. I got to change me first. Vulnerability is the power to live your life boldly in spite of weakness. Every day I get up and I boldly go to the gym and I slop around doing whatever types of exercises they, they're, they're getting, trying to get me to do. But let me tell you something. I don't do it to be skinny. I don't do it to lose weight. I do it because I'm free. And then I live the rest of my day on purpose. I wear the cape the whole time. I'm wearing the cape while I exercise. But oftentimes we have problems in our life and we think, okay, I hope I don't do this today. I hope I don't have this bad thought today. I hope I don't do this today. How do you possibly not do this when you've, made your, when you've whittled down your whole life's existence to whether or not you do this? Like, <laughs> there's no power. One step. Usually if, when a man comes to me with a problem, I can't wait for him to say it. You know why? This happens. Like, I I don't talk to you about their problems. Because the problem is never the problem. A man sat down with me two months ago, and he finally was just like, man, I am really struggling with lust. And you could just see it in his face, how he is just, he he has so beaten himself down about this. He's so bothered about it. I asked him a couple questions and he said, you know, my wife and I were intimate together about every four or five months. I'm like, really? I said, why are you in the garage? Metaphorically speaking, why are you in the garage all upset at yourself about lusting when there's an intruder breaking into your house, stealing from your wife and children? Like, get out of the garage of your guilt and go tell your wife. Just go to her and say, honey, I feel like life is stealing from us the intimacy that I want to share with you. Let's get it back. He stopped trying to, see, when you're stuck trying to change your problem, you don't have visibility. I saw him a month later and you couldn't slap him enough to get the smile off his face because of what he was experiencing with his wife. I saw him a month after that, and he was telling me how many times per week. I'm like, okay, good to know. The power of God, the freedom we can have, the life change we can have is so simple if we won't make it impossible by trying to change our life to earn freedom. Finish with the story of Naaman. 
Naaman was, Scripture says, a, a great man, a great leader, but he had leprosy. Probably something like you and I. There's greatness in us, but there's also a leprosy. If he's like you or me, he probably woke up every day and probably thought, man, I'm still a leper. He probably didn't wake up and be like, man, I'm glad I'm a great leader. He didn't, did he? He probably woke up like, like you and I might and be like, well, I'm still have leprosy. A servant comes to him and says, hey, there's this prophet named Elisha in Israel. He can heal you. So Naaman loads up his chariot and, and with, with gifts and he's gonna go see the prophet and be healed and give him the gifts. Naaman shows up at Elisha's place. Elisha doesn't even come speak to him. Elisha sends a message through a servant. Tell him to go dip in the Jordan River seven times. And if you recall the story, Naaman became angry. Because when you're living in a bush, when the, the thing that you need to do to find freedom is preposterous. He was like, the Jordan River, like these, these other rivers are better. <laughs> Think about that. He's on the edge of freedom, but the human heart in our silly pride is like, well, there's other rivers that seem more appropriate. It, it, it's like the, it's, it's the person that's, that's always looking for an excuse to not join mountain men. Always looking for an excuse like to not go get some kind of coaching. Always looking for a reason not to sign up to volunteer. Like, oh, that's just, that's just volunteering. It's the person that, that's not, that doesn't want to get baptized. Well, that's just baptism. Like, what's the big deal? He became angry and he's like, the prophet, he's supposed to come out, like wave his hand over my leprosy and say a special prayer. And scripture says he was like angry. All he needed to do was dip in the water. Just dip in the water. Murky water. And that's all, that's all vulnerability is. It's just this step into this awkward thing. But in it is freedom. I made one phone call. A young man emailed me two and a half months ago now. I hadn't seen him in years, 23 years old. And he described in a long email what his life has been since high school. Now, if you knew this young man, he's like the perfect human. If you knew him, you'd be like, well, this is the perfect human, clearly. In the email, he said, since high school, I've been addicted to gaming and pornography and food, and I've been depressed and suicidal the last two years. But you know what he said at the end? The only thing I needed to hear at the end of the email, he said, I'm tired of hiding. Can you help me? I told him, I said, we're, in the, we're, we're gonna do the first mastermind. We met that following week. And every week you just saw a dead man rising. You know what he said after the second week? He said, I called my friends and got together with them before it was impossible for him to do because he was so afraid of someone asking, how are you doing? He was afraid to leave his own house to meet with other humans that were friends. He wouldn't respond to text messages. 
By the end of it, he said, I got a job. I'm moving out of state. He's got this great job. But can I tell you something? Can I tell you in five weeks what we never talked about? We never talked about food, pornography, gaming, suicide, or depression. What we talked about was his life and the man he's meant to be in this world. It took five weeks, but all we did is put the cape around his neck. The gospel puts the cape on the man. You do not have to hold your life hostage until you fix your life. Put on the cape of calling. It belongs on your neck. There's nothing you've done. There's nowhere you've been. There's nothing that's happened to you that disqualifies you from the cape that belongs around your neck. One step to freedom. If you don't have someone to talk to, I want you to text me right now. Don't you dare let your pride excuse you from, oh, I'm not gonna, he's not skinny enough, I'm not gonna talk to him. Like there's, text me. Your kids are waiting on it. Your wife is waiting for you. The world's waiting for you. And your freedom is so close. Dip in the water. I want to give you, I want to give you something as well. This, this whole course about change, I have a video course called How to Change. It's 10 days of video content. I want to give it to anyone who wants it. You might have a relative or a friend that is stuck in some kind of addiction. I want to give this to you. If you text that number and say, change, I'm going to send you the content for free. You're one step away, my friends. Put on your cape. Thanks for listening.